Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back to another episode. We are so beyond thankful that you are here with us once more on this beautiful, beautiful day. How are you? Great. Katie, how are you? I'm doing good. Great. Yeah, how are you? Less than that, but okay. We're here. I'm hanging in there. I'm just glad that it's no longer dark at 4 p.m. So I'm living the dream, honestly. Every day that I noticed it was getting even seconds lighter Mm. or the sun was setting a minute later, (laughs) I felt my seasonal depression curtain lift just a little. Just a little peak. The regular depression curtain, ever present. Hangs heavy. Sure. (laughs) But the seasonal depression curtain. It's waving in the wind now. (laughs) Dainty. It's lovely. I got those. Whoosh. See you next year. (laughs) Well, before we get into our case today, we have some recognition to give. We have a bias of coffee. I feel like it's been a while since we've done one of these little shout outs. Yeah. So if you guys are curious about how you can get a shout out from our bias of coffee, you could go to our website, truecrimene.com. We have a contact us page. You scroll all the way down and there's a button that says, Thank you. (laughs) And you click it and you can buy us a coffee. For Liz, who does not partake in the caffeinated coffee beverages, a little hot chocolate will do. I love a good hot chalky. But as we always say, you guys do not have to buy us anything. You guys do not have to spend a cent on us. Mm -hmm. Just you being here and listening is way more than enough. Yeah. However. (laughs) That being said. A lovely, loyal listener Mm -hmm. who I feel like we are constantly messaging, going back and forth with in our DMs, chatting with. Dare I even say a friend of the pod? I would for sure say a friend of the pod. (laughs) CJ, you might be one of our best friends of the pod. True. It is so lovely to chat with you. Mm -hmm. I know we've chatted about bones and taxidermy (laughs) and pets. Yes, pets. They purchased us not one. Not two. I won't do it all the way. Okay, thanks. <laughs> ten coffees. So kind. Ten. One, zero. Ten. <sighs> it breaks my heart in the best way, if that <laughs> makes sense. Because it's just so kind. Oh, and then the message that CJ wrote us, quote, Keep up the good work. Every Thursday, I look forward to an episode in the morning. Boop all the pets for me, please. And you know what? I sure fucking did. <laughs> Every single one. CJ, I chased my cat Salem around the apartment (laughs) to give her a boop on the nose for you. Heck yeah. And then also, this case was suggested to us by Brooke H. via website submission. Thank you, Brooke H. Appreciate it. Good 
definitely a good submission. Oh, this one is going to be a long episode. There's a ton of information Mm -hmm. and it is still unsolved, which we really like to get these cases out there. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one of the older cases we've covered that's unsolved. Mm -hmm. Um, As most of you guys might know, we recently released an episode on Rita Curran out of Vermont and she, her murder was over 50 years ago and the next day they announced who killed her so i'm not saying that tomorrow there will be an answer to this disappearance but it would be nice maybe we could all work together and collectively manifest yes we could do it one episode at a time yeah i like that maybe light a candle or two we could all Say a prayer, whatever your preference is. Hold hands through the sound waves. (laughs) Right now, we'll grab each of your hands with a nice, gentle squeeze, and we'll say, (laughs) manifest with us. And maybe, who knows, maybe tomorrow you'll hear something on the news about Kurt Newton. If we stop making episodes, it's because they solved this case the day after, and I fell over and died. (laughs) That would be, even I would be like, okay, that's fine. Because that's incredible. So, I mean, who knows? And we'll get into it in a few minutes, but you guys who are loyal listeners know I have a soft spot for abducted children um, or even just children that are missing. So it's uh, this is a tough one because it's very sad, but there's a lot of good that went into it in a way. Yeah. It was definitely a very tentative attempt by the police and investigators to find this boy. Which is not super common. Definitely. So. And without further ado, today we will be covering the The disappearance of Kurt Newton. All right, per usual, before we get into it, let's get our sources gathered. Katie, what do you have for me today? I utilized Reddit. Good word. Phenomenal. Oh, thank you. (laughs) NewEngland.com, which was massively helpful. I don't think we'd have an episode if we didn't have this source, honestly. Phenomenal. The Charlie Project, of course. DigitalMain.com, which was police documents, state police documents, actually, and it Mm -hmm. was a pretty lengthy... It's like 28 pages. It was long. Oh my god, they had maps, and they had... You can see a map of the campground that we'll talk about on our website. Mm -hmm. Um, But really great work. Yeah. And then WCYY.com. Okay. I had the Charlie Project as well, newengland.com, the same um, Maine State Library Warden's Report of the Search. I used the Dome Network. I used Reddit, of course. Um, I used a website called Mysterious Universe and also an article from the Lewiston Sun Journal. I loaded up, which honestly wasn't even necessary because like newengland.com and then the digital report of the search was enough to do everything. That's our episode right there. Yep. But I do like to get different perspectives and kind of filter in things like as I'm reading them. Definitely. So definitely some great stuff here. Now, guys, let me do what I do best and set the scene for you. It was Labor Day weekend in 1975. Let's go back there. I only picture things from these times in sepia tone. I don't know why. It's not like it was super, super long ago. I knew you were going to say that. I don't know why. I just feel like I think every time I see like maybe a picture from that time and they have that tone, that's just how the world looked at the time. I know that's unrealistic, but, and I bet it was just, I hear like 
cruddy, staticky radios just in the background of every, all over 1975. And cars, a That's what I picture. So be there with me right now, listeners. A young couple by the names of Ron and Jill Newton were planning on leaving their Manchester, Maine home to go camping. They had just got, oh guys, they had just scored a sweet deal on a secondhand tent trailer. And they were so excited to use it. Um, Kind of the last camping weekend of the year where we are. You know, it gets chilly kind of fast and Mm -hmm. it's not ideal weather. So Labor Day weekend, you know, the very end of August, the first few days of September, might as well get out there while you can. And they were pumped to use this tent trailer. I personally would not be. But, again, it is 1975, and that seems like the most 1975 thing I've ever heard. Like, let's go camping! I love it. I love it! So Ron and Jill had two kids, six-year-old Kimberly and four-year-old Kurt. And, of course, they were joining them on this trip. They also had a whole bunch of friends who were coming in. I think it was, like, three other families who were coming in to join them on this big old camping adventure. The Newtons were the first to arrive at Natanis Point campground, which was in the small and remote town of Chain of Ponds, Maine. And just for kind of perspective, this town is only six miles below the Canadian border, specifically Quebec, which, I mean, you know, I obviously went to school in Maine. I live in Maine now. My college roommate, Mackenzie Higgirl, she lives very close, like her home is very close to the Canadian border. And I always thought it was so crazy to hear that because it's just so I mean, it's one thing to be close to the border of other states, but another country just, I don't know why it blows my mind. She used to tell me about, like, they'd go on field trips over the border. Like, it's just, it's interesting to me. It's a whole other world. That's crazy. Yeah. So they are right below it, which could come back and be important later, just Mm -hmm. for your guys to keep that in your brains. The Newtons arrived on Friday, and they gathered campfire wood along an abandoned Longan road, and that was near their campsite. According to Kurt's parents, Kurt loved campfires. They were his favorite thing. I don't know what it, maybe the aspect of fire is really exciting or how big they can be or how warm. You can roast marshmallows. Whatever it was, he loved campfires. So cute. Loved them. On Saturday, the three other families arrived and they had a fun-filled weekend ahead. You know, the Saturday was filled with laughter and fun. They went fishing. They went hiking. And they had many a campfire. I'm sure at Kurt's request, Kimberly brought her bike along and, you know, wanting to be included, of course, Kurt brought his bright red, shiny new tricycle with them on this camping trip, of course, to probably match his big sis. And he loved this tricycle. So he loved campfires and he loves this tricycle. He was a happy boy. Loved it. Saturday night was capped off with a huge bonfire and they all had a great time. They cooked food over the fire and, of course... I'm sure Kurt was over the moon. He loved, I I just remember reading in like every place they were like his parents talking about how much he loved campfires. <laughs> it's the cutest thing ever. So cute. And guys, go on our website, check out our Instagram, look at a picture of this little boy. Oh my God. He has the classic, classic, you know, 1970s little boy haircut. I have a picture of my dad in my apartment who that looks just like that. He has the same haircut and it's like so prominently bang focused and like bowl shape it's just great it's It's great so cute so now it was sunday on their labor day weekend escapades and it started out pretty normal unfortunately the weather was kind of shitty and that 
That's the price you pay when you go out camping. It's not always going to be nice. Kurt slept in late, like 9 a.m., which is late for him and a little boy, because he was fighting a cold. But when he woke up, don't you guys worry, he was perfectly fine to roast a donut over a fire and have a nice camp and breakfast, which included the donut as well as like sausage, home fries, eggs. He, Oh, my God. I bet he was so freaking happy. <laughs> Shortly after breakfast, it was like 10 a.m. at this point. Jill took all of the muddy shoes from the day before and walked with her friends to the bathhouse, which was like 50 yards away. And it was at this time that Ron decided to go get some more firewood. And, you know, their campfire had kind of like died down a little bit. So he was just going to go get some wood. I don't know who was, maybe it was the 70s. Maybe this was just how it was. But Jill went off to the bathhouse. Ron went off to get wood. And Kimberly was around, like, playing with her friends in, like, another campground, you know, campsite. And they just left Kurt just sitting there. They were like, okay, Kurt, we'll be back. Or they just didn't notice. They, like, literally just forgot. Who knows? Is that terrible? In hindsight, yes. Was that uncommon? Absolutely not. <laughs> that is, like, the 70s stamp. Yeah. Oh my god, literally. Like, yeah. leave your kids at home alone to fend for themselves with the door unlocked, yeah. no phone to call anybody right. for help. Like, Of course. So, Kurt saw his dad get in his truck with his axe, and I think he knew where he was going, and he started to go down the road, and Kurt saw him and was like, Daddy, Daddy, wait up! And he got on his big, red, shiny new tricycle, and he... He sped off after him in the same direction that his dad had left. About a fourth of a mile away from the campsite, 12-year-old Lou Ellen Hansen was walking along the road when she passed Kurt, who apparently, according to her, looked super determined. And she literally was like, where is your parents? And he just kept going. He didn't, he didn't even really give her the time of day. He was determined. Unbeknownst to anyone at that time, this would be the last time anyone would see Kurt ever, 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 alive or dead, ever. Jill had been gone maybe 10 minutes at this bathhouse, which I I do realize almost sounds like a negative connotation because bathhouse is often used as like a, a naughty word to s- suggest where gay men had sex before. But I mean it as in like, this is where everyone went potty at the campsite. Like a literal bathhouse. Yes. Like with showers. Yep. And that was the place where you went to get water. Yep. Like a literal bathhouse. Yes. When she returned, she had noticed that Kurt was missing. Although she just assumed that he had just left in the truck with his dad to get firewood. So when Ron returned and Kurt wasn't with him, their worst fears began to kind of seep into their very souls. The road that Ron had gone down was actually a logging road. The camp itself was in the forest that used to be used for a paper company. Thunder Mifflin? (laughs) Sorry, I had to. From the campground at the road about a quarter mile, there's an abandoned shack. Around where the shack was, was where Lou Ellen last saw Kurt. After another quarter mile, the road forks and splits into two. Okay. The left side leads to a bridge and then a small dump that was used by the campers Mm -hmm. because it's the 70s. That's when people were dumping shit in holes in the ground and throwing shit in the ocean and we didn't know how to dispose of trash. Right. Anyway, (laughs) 
The right side of the road is called Otter Pond Road, and it goes on for a full mile. The road then turns into more of a path. It's really overgrown. It is impossible to drive through unless you had four-wheel drive or a really heavy-duty truck. Like Kurt's dad. Precisely. Okay. That is where Kurt's dad headed. The owner of the campground, a man named Lloyd Davidson, fucking hated this road. Mm -hmm. The logging road, the one that was really overgrown, because people use it to trespass on the camp to get to the showers or fish or take wood. Mm -hmm. And that was where, like we said, Ron was. The girl who last saw Kurt, Lou Ellen, had a father named Jack Hansen. He was a campground volunteer, and his job was to make sure that everything was kept clean and maintained. He actually found Kurt's tricycle on the side of the road leading to the dump, so the left side of the fork. And the bike was at the edge of the woods, and a police officer actually commented on this, and he said that the position of the bike was, quote, of a little boy who's been told never to leave his things on the road. Oh, yeah. So it was like he put it off to the side very carefully as though he'd be back for it. Right. To keep it safe and so he wouldn't damage his new bright red tricycle. Yeah. Jack Hansen didn't realize that the bike could have been left there intentionally, and so he took it and threw it in the dump. Yeah. Which he did say later was weird that it was left there to be thrown away. Like, that's what he thought. Because he noticed it was shiny and new. But he was like, why else would this be here? It's literally, like, near the dump. Yeah. So he just, you know, took care of the trash. He was a volunteer caretaker of the campground. So sad. I know. Jill, when she had gotten back and learned that Kurt wasn't with Ron, she was asking around more, like, she's frantic at this point. Yeah. She overheard Jack saying that he found Kurt's bike at the dump. So Jill is thinking, oh my God, someone abducted my child and threw his bike in the dump. Yeah. Until we all kind of piece it together later that Jack was the one that put the bike in the dump because he was doing his job and cleaning up the campground. Right, right. The men at the campground reassured Jill that he probably just went looking for Ron and they would all spread out to find him. Yep. So the idea of Kurt just like following his dad into the woods didn't seem to really strike Jill as a logical explanation because Kurt was very shy, like painfully shy. And he was extremely afraid of being alone, which the irony in that and the fact that he was left alone is interesting, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Jill recalls that Kurt was always nervous about playing outside near the woods and that even though Kimberly would call him to play in the woods, he would refuse. He had told his mom once that he wouldn't go into the woods because, quote, there were monsters in there. So he doesn't want to go in the woods. He doesn't want to play and not be around his mom. Like, he is a total mama's boy. And, I mean, he's four. He's still a little wary of the world. So she was like, there's no way he just followed you. And even so, which we know now, of course, that he did. You know, he got on his tricycle, daddy, daddy, and he was following him where he got lost, where he would stop on the side of the road and daintily place his tricycle, it's unlikely that he just walked into the woods on his own volition. Right. That's weird. Very bizarre. Dwayne Lewis was a warden inspector with Maine Fish and Game, and he got a call that a child was lost. Now, Dwayne had been with Fish and Game for 14 years. He had led almost 75 searches. Every single one had been successful. Every single one. He's kind of a fucking legend. That's amazing. That is so cool. So he called for backup. 
because he's thinking, okay, they're right by the Canadian border, even though it's Labor Day weekend, which is traditionally beaches, barbecues, be outside. Mm -hmm. One, the weather that day was atrocious. It was foggy. It was chilly. Two, they're at the very tip of the state near Canada. So it's not very warm, despite it being Labor Day weekend. And three, that specific night was supposed to drop to 20 degrees. Yep. They needed to find that child like yesterday. 100%. Dwayne arrived at the campground at 4 p.m. with 29 other people already organizing to help search. So basically the whole campground is like, let's find this kid. Oh, yeah. And because Jill was going around asking everyone nearby, have you seen my son? He looks like this. He was on a tricycle, blah, blah, blah. And after everyone was like, no, no, of course everyone was invested. And they were going to take turns and they were going to look for him. Right, especially a four-year-old. Yeah. A helicopter and search plane very quickly were dispatched, and another warden was using a loudspeaker, quote, Kurt, I'm up in the helicopter. Your mommy and daddy are waiting for you, and I want you to follow me back to the camp. Walk towards the helicopter. Don't sit down. Don't be afraid. Just stand up and walk, and I'll take you back. That breaks my heart. Jill said that Kurt loved helicopters, like, almost as much as he loved campfires. Yeah. Helicopters were the next best thing. Right. And Jill said that if Kurt was in the area, that was a thing that would have brought him back. Right. So the fact that they did all of that with the helicopter and he did not show up. Yeah. Really upset her. And, I mean, I think that's fair, considering she knew this was, like, the last-ditch effort. Mm -hmm. He loved helicopters. And then just to not have him come out of the woods like they thought heartbreaking right before dark jill and one of her friends thought that they could hear a child's voice in the woods just north of the dump an officer helping with the search named sheriff french also said that he heard something interesting jill called for kurt for 15 minutes and everybody else stayed silent so they could listen but they didn't hear anything or find anything once that area was searched that's awful yeah That night, they did decide to stop the search efforts at about 11 p.m. It was too dark and it was too cold. But there were searchers that were posted around the the woods that every hour they would call his name and just try, just in case. So I think that's kind of amazing because that's usually, and it always blows my mind, but when there's cases like this, they search until a certain point and then they all go to bed and they come back or whatever in the morning. So yeah. the fact that they really did keep going is amazing. It's wonderful. The next day, bloodhounds were brought in and they tracked a scent 10 yards from the dump. The dogs got confused and it was probably from the search party the day before. So many people are looking in that same area. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of flocked over there when they thought they heard his voice. Right. So, I mean, the bloodhounds did their best and they tracked his scent to that area. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it wasn't really much because that's the area that we know for sure he was last at. Right. So they weren't really able to prove anything after the fact. Right. By this time, over 200 people arrived to help. Mm-hmm. The weather started, for lack of a better term, really going to shit. Ugh. There was frost the night before. That morning when they restarted the majority of the search, it was just 29 degrees. Oh, my God. It was foggy. Mm -hmm. And the fog was really thick and wet, so everybody got soaked. Yeah. It was freezing. It was absolutely miserable. To make matters worse, the woods are also really rugged. Yeah. Full of really deep holes, huge boulders. Mm -hmm. 
really good hiding places for a four-year-old. Exactly. So everybody is trying to search literally every crevice of this forest. Yeah. People are tripping over roots, tripping over rocks. People are getting scratched with thorns and brambles. The way that the search was, they had one round of people go out. Everywhere that they searched was marked with a slash. And then they had a second round of people go out right after to double check and make sure that nothing was missed. Right. This search was the most intensive search of the woods in Maine state history. Wow. I think it's also important to highlight how many times they looked in these areas. Typically, it wasn't once or twice. It was like three, four, five times. They were checking every crevice. They were checking every hole. And like you said, with the graffiti and Mark making a slash, if they checked it again, another slash. Like, they were covering their ground so heavily, like shoulder to shoulder, searching, and nothing. The search was so intense that Ron Newton lost his pen that he had in his pocket twice. And both times, someone found it and gave it back to him. That's so heartbreaking. In the forest. They are covering every millimeter. Yep. And they did not find this child. And I'm sure, you know, after that first night when they go back to searching and there's frost on the ground, how terrifying. Your brain instantly goes to the worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunately fair. You know? Several days into Kurt's disappearance, Jill learned of a certain tool that she heard from a fellow searcher that kind of immediately struck an interest with her. It was a plane. Uh, Apparently top secret and no longer top secret, if she knew about it, (laughs) that had been used in the Vietnam War. This plane had infrared sensors, as well as low-light television sensor equipment, specifically for nighttime, and could sense heat from over 10,000 feet in the air. Jill begged for it to be used, and somehow it worked. This $10 million C-130H gunship came with nine crew members and flew all the way from Pensacola, Florida, to help search for Kurt. This was the first time it would ever be used in a civilian search effort, which is insane. $10 million in 1975 money is at least $80 billion in today's money. I don't, I don't actually know, but it's a lot of money. It's crazy. They were really hoping this plane would do it for them. Because if you think of it, Vietnam famously is very jungly, very dense, thick rice paddies and brush. And just, it's very rugged. If they can pinpoint like guerrilla warfare in Vietnam from the sky with this thing, they can find a four-year-old boy in the woods of Maine. This plane's infrared sensors were so effective that on the road, it could tell the difference between the temperature of the asphalt and the white median strip directly next to it. That blows my mind. That's crazy. At one point, there was up to 3,000 people searching. And there was also people behind the scenes who weren't actively searching, but rather gathering information. And this includes talking to every single person who was camping there that weekend. They all were interviewed and given polygraph tests. And unfortunately, you know, nothing came of that. But I think that was a really thorough, thorough job by the investigators because they talked to everyone. It's a campground on Labor Day weekend. It's going to be packed. And they still, they found their way to everyone. 
And if it was suspicious, if anything didn't feel right, they did a polygraph test. And yes, we know polygraph tests are junk science now, but I still think the effort was fantastic. For sure. Yeah. So in this report that we heavily relied on, there was obvious, obvious evidence of extreme detail and precision in searching for this little boy. All roads and trails within a five-mile radius were checked more than once. The campground dump was relocated, and that area was checked very thoroughly. The chain of ponds in Round Pond Body of Water were checked by boats, divers, and helicopters. Even a nearby swamp was checked in great detail, which is hard to do because um, it's a swamp. Every outhouse, every fireplace checked more than once. Even psychics who had reached out with their phony tips, were listened to and acted upon. Every little thing, they were looking for this boy, and they were not going to give up. The search was set to end on September 10th, 13 days after Kurt disappeared. And when it was September 10th, they decided to extend it another two days. So it officially ended on the 12th of September. Ron Newton refused to rest or stop searching out of guilt, and finally, after four days and four nights without sleep, his friends laced his coffee with tranquilizers so he could get some rest. Mm, That's heartbreaking. Ron and Jill stayed another two weeks before returning home to put Kimberly in school. When Kimberly was in school, they went back to the campsite every weekend, Mm -hmm. as did Fish and Game Warden Dwayne Lewis. Yeah. Missing persons posters were posted on trees within the depths of the woods so that hunters could see them. Sure. And in the winter, Ron took a snowmobile out when it snowed until it got way too cold. Yeah. Several months later, police received a phone call from a man in Connecticut. He had just gotten home from camping in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. He reported seeing a little boy with blonde hair and blue eyes staring at him, looking very nervous and very shy. And he was especially nervous about the man he was with. Hmm. The man from Connecticut told police that this boy was Kurt Newton. Yeah. Police got a phone call from two waitresses in Vermont who said they saw Kurt in a restaurant. A detective went and tracked down the boy, but it wasn't Kurt. Yeah. Four months after Kurt's disappearance, someone in New Orleans called about a small boy with blonde hair who was found wandering around and only responded to names starting with a K. Ugh. Ron and Jill were shown a video of him. It was not Kurt. It was actually a boy named Clifford Hmm. who had been abandoned by his mom from Missouri who was hitchhiking around. Oh, that's awful. Ron and Jill took matters into their own hands and had friends in printing who helped them make posters. This is insane. They soon developed kind of a rogue printing mailing operation from their basement. And they had 75 thousand missing persons posters of their son that's incredible they sent a missing persons poster to thousands of restaurants stores and public places even thousands of miles away to get them out there yep after six months of kurt being missing they developed a list of every single superintendent from every single school district in the united fucking states the entire country These people are incredible. Like, they are not resting. No, and if you think of it, this is 1975. Google does not exist. The fact that they literally found the names and the phone numbers of every single superintendent in the United States is 
amazing. It's dedicated. It's just, there are no words. It's incredible. Ron, Jill, and their friends sent a letter with five missing persons posters asking for a photo to be posted for two years. It took six months for them to get to all the schools. When they finished all the schools in the United States, they started doing the same for Canada. It took them two years and over $5,000 in expenses in mail in 1975. Yikes. They fucking did it. Yeah. Jill and Ron kept wishing that there was a more effective way to do this because there wasn't any kind of organization. No database. No nothing. The Amber Alert was in 1996. Mm -hmm. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was not established until 1984. Thank you, John Walsh. Yes. Ron stated, quote, when the last envelope went, we had the feeling we'd done everything we could. Then all we could do was wait. Oh, what a heartbreaking feeling. Jill stated, you know, in a way I feel fortunate. I have a prayer and I have tomorrow and tomorrow may bring Kurt. Oh, isn't that gave me gross chills. Some people speculate that Kurt's disappearance is related to the disappearance of a three-year-old boy named Douglas Chapman. He disappeared from Alfred, Maine on June 2nd, 1971, about four years before Kurt's disappearance. Mm -hmm. Douglas was last seen playing in a sand pile about 25 yards from his house. It was thought that he had wandered off, but hundreds of people who helped search for him found nothing. Ugh. It's been 48 years since Kurt was last seen, and that's obviously far too long. And of course, with this disappearance comes a lot of questions. Was he abducted? That seems to be what his mom thinks. That was her gut instinct, and maybe she's right. It could be possible because there are no witnesses, and nobody saw any like unusual activity like a weird car or anything that they reported on they didn't think that there was like any unregistered cars or like people who were unfamiliar with the campground nothing suspicious had gone on ron and jill were thinking what if somebody abducted him and brought him to canada which katie the point you bring up of them sending out flyers to canada schools was them trying to see if he was abducted they would instead of assuming that he was like sexually abused or sold or murdered was that they would just adopt him as their own and then put him in school and treat him like he was their own child Mm. so while they were thinking of this abduction theory they were also kind of keeping up rose-colored glasses on saying like well if he was abducted he's probably in school he's probably being taken care of and not like the worst case scenario which is typically what happens when a child is abducted and that's heartbreaking that's heartbreaking do i think he was abducted i think it's certainly possible i also think with the hound dogs you know they tracked his scent to the dumpster area if he got in a car that's where it would stop And yes, they got confused and they were kind of looking around because of all the searchers that were there in their sense. But I think it's not unlikely. Other people speculate that he maybe got eaten by an animal. Now, this is unlikely because there is literally no signs that an animal attack occurred. Animal attacks are not quiet by nature. They're also not clean by nature. Um, It's historically known that like a mountain lion or a bear would go for the throat perhaps Mm. or the fleshy parts of the body in turn leaving blood and shreds of clothing being pulled or dragged to their den or wherever they wanted to go to eat 
a child, there would be drag marks, there would be blood, there would be pieces of his clothing. It would be way more obvious. So the whole, you know, mountain lion, bear kind of thing was kind of squashed just because that's not, there would just be more. And there would be sound. Someone would have heard something. Coyotes, they make loud noises when they're hunting, would have heard it. And mountain lions, the roar, the bears, oh my God, there would have been something. So I don't think that theory is really likely. Agreed. And my last theory, which I personally think is the most likely, is that he followed his dad in his truck, put his tricycle on the side of the road, and went into the woods to find his dad and just never came out. He probably thought his dad went into the woods, maybe. If he lost sight of his dad's truck, because, you know, he was driving a truck and Kurt was driving a tricycle, he probably lost sight of his dad. What if he thought that his dad went into the woods to get firewood? Because, you know, there are trees there. That's where you get firewood with an axe. He Maybe he just walked into the woods, thought his daddy was there, and just never came out. Why wasn't he found then? Good question. I don't know. Obviously, as we highlighted, extensive, extensive, extensive searching was done. Shoulder to shoulder, under every rock, in every hole, in every den, and nothing. I don't know. I don't know. There have been times before where kids have gone missing and were found in an area later that was searched. And they were under the brush, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? I think this was the most likely thing that happened. And perhaps that he... I mean, like you said, Katie, it was going to be 20 degrees that night. He probably died of exposure. Again, this does not really kind of touch on where he would be, where his body would be. But I feel it's the most likely given the situation. Yeah, I'm leaning. I'm very torn. I'm thinking that he, if he was out in the woods, exposure. A hundred percent. Too cold. As awful as it is. It was wet. Yep. It was foggy. He would have been soaked. Yep. He had a cold too, remember? Right. Mm-hmm. He's also four years old. Little baby. He's little. He doesn't really have a whole lot of body mass to begin with. Or a great immune system, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. But then also, too, I'm wondering, in one of the articles I read that the owner of the campground got really frustrated because people would constantly trespass. Right. And constantly use their you know, rugged vehicles to get into the woods and they constantly be going to the showers and going to the bathhouse and fishing. Yeah. So I'm one, I, I'm leaning towards that he was abducted. I think that's also very possible. And the Canadian border is right there. So close. And also where they were, it was a wilderness township Mm. within a town, Mm. which is a little more isolated. It would be easy to kind of snatch someone and then make a run for it yeah especially with the border right there that really as soon as i read that i was like oh you've got to be kidding me yeah it definitely is a recipe for a perfect storm for someone who's really messed up in the head Mm -hmm. so i think either he walked into the woods died of exposure Mm -hmm. or he was abducted and i think that's probable given like what you just said just the location shitty because once you get to canada in 1975 that's it and good luck yeah and whether this person wanted to abuse kurt or sell him or murder him whatever it's very 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 likely that he did not have a second life like his parents hoped for 
And of course, I do not believe that his parents are still alive. No, I don't think so. And that, you know, that means, of course, that they died not knowing what happened to their little boy, which is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that feeling. I bet you his sister is still alive, though. Mm -hmm. Kimberly, she was six at the time. Right. Right. So she would be a little bit like 55-ish, give or take, a little more, a little less. So that's awful. Four-year-old Kurt Newton was last seen wearing a navy blue sweatshirt, a red jersey, red and black corduroys with dark brown shoes, and he was also wearing his favorite navy blue jacket that was decorated with little baseballs. Mm. He weighed 45 pounds and was three foot eight. Oh. Anyone with any information on the disappearance of Kurt Newton is asked to please call the Maine State Police. Their number is 207-289-2155. And that is the mysterious and devastating disappearance of four-year-old Kurt Newton. Awful. It's also crazy to think about how many kids this has, one, happened to or came very close to happening to in that time. Right. Because, like you said, that's not really uncommon for parents to just, oh, he's four years old now. He's a he's a big boy. Right. He can ride his bicycle. He can go in the middle of the street if he wants. <laughs> like, okay. He can ride down the neighborhood seven blocks down to little Johnny's house. That's right. perfect. Yeah. Come home and the streetlights turn on. <laughs> right. No worries. It's okay if you're a little late, buddy. I know it takes a while with those tiny legs and that big tricycle. Like, what? But that's just the 70s. It's crazy how we even are born, Liz. I know, seriously. How are we all even here? I know. With our parents and grandparents just, it's a free-for-all. Letting their kids have a free-for-all. How was every child not abducted, snatched, murdered, hit by a car? Literally. You name it. Yeah, I know. It's mind-boggling. That was just the time. You know, I'm so glad we're out of that kind of lifestyle. But of course, this still happens. Mm -hmm. It's just heartbreaking. And guys, I, and I know Katie also, want to know what you think. Do you think he was abducted? Do you think he perhaps got lost in the woods? What are you guys thinking? You can find us on our Instagram and Twitter at TrueCrimeNE. All lowercase. Or you can send us an email at our email address, which would be truecrimene at gmail.com. We, of course, have a website, truecrimene.com. You could go to our webpage for this episode and look at the darling picture of Kurt. Yeah. Look at the map of the campsite. You could explore other web pages for our other cases we have covered. Go to that contact page I mentioned at the top of the episode and use our handy-dandy submission tool. You could send us questions, comments, case suggestions based in New England, please. If you leave your name and we decide to cover the case that you suggested, you'll get a shout-out like we did at the top of the episode. Thank you again, Brooke H., for utilizing our handy-dandy submission tool. Thanks, Brooke. You also have the option to be anonymous if you so choose. We have a lot of really great suggestions coming up that were suggested anonymously, so yep. that is always an option. Yep. If you want to scroll down a little further to our bias of coffee, like we talked about, you might get a little shout out there if you feel ever so generous. But again, no pressure because it really means so much to us that you're even here listening. Truly. And if you want to be maybe a little generous, but not monetarily, you can go onto Spotify and give us a star rating, and you can go on Apple Podcast and give us a star rating and a written review. 
we would appreciate it. We appreciate all feedback, any criticism. Well, that one we don't like very much, but we get it. <laughs> uh, anything you guys can give us that will be helpful, we would really appreciate it. And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.